Here we go. It's the last day of August, the 31st, in the year of our Lord, 2021. And this is Rumination Law and Gospel Tuesday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me will be another pastor pretty quick. And we're going to be taking a look at the hymn, Praise the Almighty, My Soul Adore Him, written by Johann Daniel Hernschmidt. He was actually born in 1675. His father was a pastor. And in fact, in light of his father's weakness, he really helped him out where he became vicar to his father and subsequently the deacon at Bopfingen. He was issued a call to be professor of theology at Holly. Tragically, he succumbed to an infectious illness, possibly influenza, in 1723. He was only 48 years old. And within hours, his wife also died, leaving behind eight children. Now, this hymn is found in eight German stanzas and was published in 1714. It is a worthy paraphrase of Psalm 146. A lot of time, hymn writers who base their texts on psalms do not necessarily use every psalm verse, but he did in his original employ nearly every idea that the writer of Psalm 146 was inspired to write. As a result, we have a versified commentary on this one psalm, and it is him for the day. And with me is Pastor Mark Smith. Do you like this hymn, Pastor Smith? Yeah, I like it very much, Tom. I really do. I uh, I use it a lot. Oh, I use it a lot when our the, the leaders of our country are in the current events. Explain that. Oh, whenever there's uh, whenever current current events are such that we uh, we either place maybe too much trust in our earthly leaders, or perhaps we're dissatisfied with them. It could go oh, either yes. way. Um, Yes, it's a praise and adoration hymn, and one of the best for sure. It's excellent translation by Alfred Brower, who died in 1949. So, without further ado, would you read the first stanza? Okay. Praise the Almighty, my soul adore him. Yes, I will laud him until death. With songs and anthems I come before him, as long as he allows me breath. From him my life and all things came. Bless, O my soul, his holy name. Alleluia, alleluia. I can see why you would use that for things that are happening in the country where people get concerned or anxious, where we say that, we will want to laud him until death. Uh, the word laud, maybe children may not understand that. What does that mean? Praise. Yes. Praise. Yeah. Synonym for praise. 
as long as he allows me breath. So that's my whole life. Praise him, my life, and all things came. Bless, O my soul, his holy name. So this is a big, good beginning. And as indicated, it's on the basis of Psalm 146. And yeah, all know, the thoughts. There aren't many hymns. A lot of the hymns have the the hymn uh, the uh, Bible references at the bottom of the page, and as you said, this is the only reference given at the bottom of this page of the hymn is uh, Psalm one forty six, which is kind of unusual. Yes, if you go through the hymn, there are plenty of references because you can't have a hymn in a Christian church without talking about Jesus, which this is going to do, which is not specifically named in Psalm 146, but the content definitely leans that way. Right. So I'll read stanza two. That is, again, the foundation of your thinking. Trust not in rulers. They are but mortal. Earthborn they are and soon decay. Vain are their counsels at life's last portal when the dark grave engulfs its prey. Since mortals can no help afford, place all your trust in Christ our Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. So we're already into the second stanza, and he's talking about Christ. Right. Right. That's, and, where our crush, that's where our trust should be. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, we may have a lot of rulers that we appreciate, but none of them. Vain are their counsels at life's last portal. That's what right. does that mean? Well, it means that, uh, you know, not all of our, you know, we could have a good earthly ruler, and yet he may not be a Christian. He may may not be able to give any Christian advice, uh, even though he's a good earthly ruler. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we think, we may think the world of a particular leader or ruler, but uh, uh, he's not our Savior. He's certainly not equal to our Savior, Jesus. He's the, he's the only one. Jesus, is the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. And rulers also deal in the area of politics. So who was it? I think it was George Bush who was once asked who he considered to be uh, the greatest person in history, and he mentioned Jesus Christ. Yes, you're talking about uh, the father? You're talking about the father or you're talking about W? I think it was his son. Uh-huh. Well, I know the father, the father, you know, they lost a little girl uh, during their married life. Little girl was, uh, you know, died early. And I know he looked for, he talked about what he was going to do after he retired from the presidency. And he did look forward to, uh, you know, look forward to going to church on a regular basis. And I remember he mentioned that he looked forward to, to, to dying and going to heaven and seeing his little girl. Oh, that's, I, I did not know that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very Bush, good. Mm-hmm. But his primary task was political. Right. And that's why I don't remember him ever 
telling people that they needed to be Christian or anything like that because that wasn't part of his office. Right. But within the family, I'm sure it was. And when the dark grave engulfs its prey, P-R-E-Y, I found that interesting. Mm-hmm. Because what is usually prey? Uh, usually prey is, uh, well, if you're thinking of P-R-E-Y, you're talking about uh, animals, critters that are hunted down. Right. And the dark grave hunts us down if we're talking about Satan. Yeah, the Grim Reaper. Yes, well said. And this is really good law and gospel. Mortals can no help afford. In other words, there's nothing that a mortal individual outside of Jesus can say to you to help you get through tough times. That's right. So, stanza three, please. Blessed, oh blessed, are they forever whose help is from the Lord Most High, whom from salvation can nothing sever, and who in hope to, to Christ draws nigh. To all who trust in him our Lord will aid and counsel now afford. Alleluia, alleluia. So, blessings come to those whose help is from the Lord Most High. Right. A lot of times, the problem with Christians is they don't seek help from the Lord. They're unaware of where that help can come. And where does the help usually come from the Lord? Where does the help usually come from the Lord? Well, where we are comforted. Right. Oh, in, oh through the word and through the yes. sacrament, through, through the promises. That's what I'm looking for, through the promises. Yes. You see, I was mentioning not long ago, one of the best books to buy is entitled Promises of the Bible. And it doesn't matter who you buy it from, because the whole book is filled with nothing but promises. And there may be a few hundred of them, but they are divided into categories, like if someone you love dies or if you're sick or if you're having money problems or family problems, there are many, many promises that you can look to where God will help you. And that's the key thing. Under the law, you try and get comforted by what you do. But under the gospel, you get comforted by what you believe. Yeah. You take that one statement there in in the verse, whom from salvation can nothing sever. You know, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of our Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing could sever us. Nothing he will permit nothing to get between him and his and his elect. Yes. And so it's very, very important that a person continue to attend worship, read the Bible, bring their children up, 
particularly in Luther's small catechism and other such items, because there is where you find the true comfort. In fact, um, you can go through the commandments, the creed, the prayer, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and what you will find is promise after promise. Promises everywhere. Even when you yes. go through the, as you said, even when you go through the Ten Commandments, there's there's promises. You know, if you if you teach those commandments properly, you realize how many promises are connected with them. Yes, is forgiveness above all. Well, the number one commandment, "Thou shalt have no other gods before me." Remember how that talks about in Exodus, "I am the Lord your God," because I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right. So there's a promise right there, and he defends it by what he has done for us. Now, for us today, we would read, I am the Lord your God because I died on the cross for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he's, he, he, uh, he saved us from the, the worst bondage of all, not just the bondage in Egypt, but the bondage of sin and death and the devil. Yes, the whole Old Testament is kind of a caricature of going from slavery into the promised land. And it took them 40 years, and in our days, it can take a long time also while we live here on earth as we're going through suffering and this kind of thing in the desert of this world until our final day when we fall asleep in Jesus and we are in the promised land forever. Yeah. Isn't it said that uh, Monica, uh, the mother of St. Augustine, I think she prayed for her son for 30 years. Yes. Uh, until he finally became converted and one of the great leaders in the early church. Right. Um, in fact, he was a, a good leader for Martin Luther also. That's right. An Augustine. Augustinian monk. Yep. All right. I'll read stanza four. Pray, penitent sinners for mercy crying, pardon and peace from him obtain. Ever the wants of the poor supplying, their faithful God he will remain. He helps his children in distress, the widows and the fatherless. Alleluia, alleluia. Now, you know what we're going to be talking about with the first line. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Tom. I don't know if I should give credit to the hymn writer or to the psalmist, but uh, isn't it interesting, At the at, toward the end of the stanzas, he doesn't forget to mention uh, the penitent, that is, possibly even the deathbed repentant, uh, for crying for mercy in their perhaps in their final days or their final hour. And, and even for them, it's not too late. He's, he, uh, God is quick with his pardon and peace and mercy. Yes. And what are they crying for? Mercy. And what's that? <laughs> yeah, mercy is, uh, let's see, mercy is getting nope. what we don't deserve. Nope. That's grace. Okay. What is it, Tom? Come on. Oh, great one. Come through with it, with it for us. Mercy is not. Not getting what we deserve. Yes. Right. Which is justice. 
Yes. And we don't want justice. No. So when we cry for mercy, what do we in the liturgy say that we deserve? Uh, in the liturgy, let's see. What I, is, a poor... Miserable sinner, yes. I, a poor miserable sinner, confess my sins. Uh, yeah, that's right. The words of abs- uh, of confession. That deserve nothing but temporal and eternal temporal punishment. Temporal and eternal punishment, absolutely. That is right. See, we even use the word deserve there. Yeah, right, right. And so that's why the liturgy is so important. Oh, it I, is. It is. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how really precious it is. I can't, I can't believe these pastors and congregations that just dispense with the liturgy. Because there's, you know, I've always, I've always considered the liturgy like the gift wrappings of a wondrous gift that you don't just toss out. But you would, you, you know, even if the gift itself is, uh, maybe you don't have as good a sermon on that particular day. Maybe the hymns aren't the best for once. But by golly, you still got the liturgy, which is rich with law and gospel. Yes, I kind of made a mistake early in my ministry. I did adult instruction, and I would go through the chief parts of the catechism, but I would rarely mention the liturgy. And it finally became clear to me at a worship service where after the communion, we sang that hymn, that is based on the temple that was said there. And a woman was crying. And I got to realize how important you need to teach the liturgy and adult instruction so that they realize that the words of Scripture are really all about Jesus and how he is our Savior. It It makes the worship life so much richer for the people when they understand those different parts of the liturgy and what they mean and why the context in which they're, they're spoken and sung. Yeah, that's really important to do. do I, I think do of you... the Nuc Dimittis. The Nuc Dimittis, for instance. Why do we sing the Nuc Dimittis uh, right after we receive Holy Communion? Yeah, that's what I was mentioning. And she hadn't realized that while he's singing it, and holding the child in his arms, we're singing it after receiving the body and blood in our mouth. Right. And that really made quite an effect on her. That's right. So, anything else on verse 4? Hmm. Oh, it talks about he will remain, he helps his children in distress, the widows and the fatherless. They're included in, uh, they're they're precious to him too, and he doesn't want to leave them out. Yes, I was with uh, Wes Rhymness. We were taking a look at why a lot of young people are not interested in the church anymore, and that's because they can't understand how God allows suffering in the world. If he's such a loving God and he's so all-powerful, why is there suffering in the world? Why do you have widows? Why do you have the fatherless? And it's really something that the church needs to address. Yes. Because it's a real problem for a lot of young people. That's right. And, of course, uh, we have to be quick to say we don't always know 
We just don't know why he permits certain things to happen. But we do know this. We do know that no matter how terrible an event it may be, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. We don't know why he permits things to happen, but we know how it's going to work out for us, for our ultimate good. Uh, there are also, uh, I think there's some rich illustrations that one can give as, as to how, uh, how difficulties and trials and temptations did ultimately work out for somebody's good. Well, you can't beat the best example in the whole world. Good Friday. The disciples sure didn't think that the crucifixion was any good. That's right. And look at how it ended up. So if you take the suffering of God himself and put it into that context, you begin to understand that God has understanding that we don't have, and that's why we don't live by understanding God as much as we live by trusting him. Trusting him. Trusting his promises, as you say. All right. Stands to five, please. Penitent sinners, oh, five. Uh, and this is a doxological verse. It's got a triangle in front of it. And that means uh, we stand for it. It mentions all, all persons of the Holy Trinity. Praise all you people the name so holy of him who does such wondrous things. All that has being to praise him solely. With happy heart its amen sings. Children of God with, angel, with angel host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Alleluia, alleluia. Now, here's my question, uh, line two. If we're talking about the Trinity, why are we saying him? Should we not say of them who does such wondrous things? God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, well said. It's a part of the doctrine of the Trinity, only one God, three distinct persons. And so at any time, you can refer to God as him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, of course, was him. Right. The fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. Yeah, children of God with angel hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. When does that occur? Children of God with angel host. Well, that's uh, uh, that occurs even in our in our worship. Uh, what part? It's the it's the whole the church triumphant as well as the church militant. We're joining we're joining the heavenly host, all saints and angels and everybody uh, in in worshiping our God. It, of course, it happens. In its full culmination, it happens uh, in the heavenly, high, heavenly courts. The specific part of the liturgy I'm thinking of is the Lord's Supper, where yes. we say, with angels, archangels, and, archangels, and, and the all whole... the company of heaven. Yes. Right. That's and true. So, that's right. So that's, you know, where we often can give comfort to people who have lost loved ones that are in heaven, that they're now rejoicing with those loved ones because they're part of the angelic host, children yes. of God. And that's important. It is. That 
Christians are children of God. Now, isn't Jesus a child of God? He, yeah, he is a, a, the incarnate son. We're not on the same level as he is, but we're adopted members of the family. Rather than the begotten. Begotten, right. He is begotten. We are adopted. Yes. So there's only one begotten son, but we are adopted. And through what sacrament does that adoption Baptism. often occur? Baptism. Yes. Holy baptism, yes. Yeah. Uh, we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that makes that child, even an infant, not only receive faith, but the infant also receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's as right. As I said. Yes. Yeah, you, you, uh, you, you can be absolutely sure, absolutely sure that that child, when he's carried away from the baptismal font in the Trinitarian baptism, he is now a child of God and heir of heaven. Exactly. And what a comfort! What a comfort that is to the parents. They know that their child—that's the—that's perhaps the most important thing. You know, I mean, feeding him is important too, and clothing him and, and sheltering him. But the most important thing parents do is baptize their little ones, because that's how they get adopted by God. Exactly, as part of His children. Yep. Well, you're going to be using this hymn Sunday. Yeah. In fact, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking. I'm going to use it. Uh, right at the outset, right at the beginning of the service. Okay. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to be talking about one of the favorite Bible verses that some husbands have. And we're going to discuss it. The Bible verse is, Wives, submit to your husbands. That's going to be tomorrow's topic. I'm Tom Baker, Mark Smith. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.